Welcome to today's edition of The Paul List, a daily comics analysis podcast. I'm Tuply on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I or email at Tuply at gmail.com. Um, today, I'm going to talk about Wonder Woman. It is uh, a makeup episode for the weekend. Uh, I missed the Sunday Scholar and I also missed the Saturday Super Friend. And so I'm going to throw it all into a bunch, try to uh, do some makeup and talk about Jill Lepore's secret history of Wonder Woman as the Sunday Scholar. Um, Jill Lepore's book came out in 2015 from Vintage and um, revealed some of the backstory of the creation of Wonder Woman as a character and also the um, life and context of William um, Moulton Marston, who is Wonder Woman's uh, inventor, along with um, with uh, Harry, Harry Peter. Um, and we'll talk about that book, and we'll also talk about the first couple of issues in the rebirth of Wonder Woman written by Greg Rucka and drawn by Liam Sharp, Nicola Scott, and uh, others. And uh, that will kind of cover our Saturday Super Friend and Sunday Scholar that I missed over the weekend as I have been playing catch-up in my personal life. Um, I just want to start off the episode by acknowledging and thanking all of you for listening and to encourage you to um, hit me up and let me know on Twitter or on um iTunes through a review or by email. Uh, let me know that you're listening. Let me know, uh, you know, some feedback about the show. I try every day to um, do comics analysis. Um, I try to bring a little bit of an academic perspective, a little bit of a um, personal uh, perspective, a little bit of a um, social and cultural analysis or literary and aesthetic analysis to looking at comic books because I think that they are um, an important form important medium in our cultural landscape. And um, I think that the the work that we're going to talk about today, um, The Secret History of Wonder Woman by Jill Lepore, as well as, um, you know, Wonder Woman by Greg Rucka and artists is, um, is is a great example of how it is so important, how comics are so important in the cultural landscape. Um, particularly of the United States, which is where I'm, where I'm uh, speaking from here in these United States, uh, here in these United States where um, uh, it, it is a challenge to do a daily podcast. Um, I think that that's probably something I haven't seen in the comics podcasting world, although there are so many great podcasts out there. One of the great podcasts that's out there is one that's called The Collected Comics Library. It's one that actually was kind of late jumping onto, um, but um, the, there, uh, Chris Marshall, who writes for the Tomorrow's um, publication back issue, um, has a podcast out there called The Collected Comics Library, and um, I'm you know I bring it up because um, it was a you know it's been a long running podcast, ten years or so. And this morning, I saw that um, despite not having heard from the Collected Comics um, uh, Library podcast for about 10 months, um, the show reappeared, which I'm excited about because um, I think it's a great show. I think um, Chris really talks about um, Collected Editions and while doing so, um, talks about the, the, um, you know, the ways that um, comics... Uh, you know, is always mining its past and always representing its past. In fact, one of the things um, Chris talks about that he learned from uh, being able, being at San Diego Comic-Con this last week and talking to some folks was that DC's, um, you know, income, I think, generates more income these days 
from sales of its classic collected editions, you know, things like the Watchmen and things like Vertigo series, than from its current monthly issues, which uh, makes sense in some ways. And I wonder how much of that is has tipped because of the rebirth, at least momentarily, with a spike in sales because of the these new rebirth titles. But um, I think uh, it makes sense if you just sort of think back and do your back of envelope economics that. Um, DC's long history and its lore of its characters, um, you know, especially of its trinity of uh, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, but also extending out to, you know, your again your Watchmen or your your Justice Society books or whatever, uh, and and then of course those Vertigo Vertigo series like um, Sandman and Preacher and stuff like that. It makes sense that their the ways that they mine from their long legacy. Um, are as profitable, you know, today as the um, keeping up with the monthly issues with it, which is its own adventure. Um, it's, it's, I think, interesting in, in, from a social perspective to, to think that um, DC's work might be as influential, uh, DC's current work might be maybe uh, hopefully as influential, but probably lagging far behind the influence of works from a decade ago. Um, and I, I think there was a bit of controversy at San Diego Comic-Con in a discussion about the animated version of The Killing Joke, um, uh, a, you know, a book written by Alan Moore, um, you know, still regularly on best-selling lists of comics and graphic novels and um, featuring what Moore himself, I think, uh, described or distanced himself from as, you know, a bit of a... Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to how to describe it, but um, it's it's generally considered a classic, a classic depiction of the Joker, a classic depiction of the conflict between Joker and Batman. And um, but the but the premises of that conflict, and especially the role that um, Barbara Gordon as Batgirl as a character plays in that conflict, is um, difficult. And I, I, you know, the only reason I bring that up now is because one of the things you always reckon with when you're dealing with the history of collected comics or whether you're thinking about the, the long legacy of um, DC and other uh, superhero lines is that you always have to reckon with the role and the place of, of women in what is often a um, patriarchal or um, even anti-woman uh, uh, position that comics are in, that they remain in, that the tensions still surface in. In the book, in the book that we're talking about, another kind of controversy to come out of the Comic-Con period is um, a series of um, uh, tweets, I think, where Frank Cho, who is a, you know, sort of a well-known artist, um, has a uh, very recognizable style, has you know, a lot of fans, um, in fact, has been drawing the Totally Awesome Hulk I think for a period, he's one of these great artists who, uh, who you know, is is adored, um, but tends not to stick around in a particular title for a super long time. Uh, tends to move around a lot, and also tends to do things like variant covers. And he was has been the variant cover artist for this new series of um, Wonder Woman, written by Greg Rucka, who is, um, of course, very much a, um, a applauded and recognized advocate for. Um, for equality in the comics fiction world, and um, and I think uh, Rucka took issue with some of the ways that Frank Cho's very um, 
uh, cheesecakey style represented Wonder Woman on the cover of, you know, although it's variant covers, um, on the cover of this title where Rucka uh, with Nicola Scott, one of his artists, and Liam Sharp, another of his artists, were trying to do something very different, something very non-cheesecakey, non-exploitative uh, with Wonder Woman. And, uh, and the controversy flared up because it seemed that Cho, um, you know, was sort of publicly lashing back or lashing out against what he perceived to be a very political set of slights from Rucka of his disapproval of the, the cover image, the very sort of, um, you know, sort of, uh, exaggerated body parts or, or whatever, uh, versions of the, of the Wonder Woman that he was drawing on these covers. And, uh, apparently, um, Rucka, you know, uh, took exception or asked for changes, and Cho took exception to those exceptions. And uh, I don't know if it was that he was asked off or he quit, but basically said, you know, declared and then publicly announced on Twitter, I'm not doing these variant covers anymore because um, Rucka has it out against me because I draw babes, which he does. He says he draws apes and babes, which I think is the name of something that Frank Cho has done. Um so, you know, the depiction of women continues to be a source of uh, tension and turmoil. Um, even recently, there was a, um, you know, it's, it's just interesting. One of the artists um, who is not quite like Frank Cho, but, um, but you could um, very crudely put them in a similar camp is, uh, is Adam Hughes. And Adam Hughes is another artist who is, uh, you know, from, from just the, the, even the simplest glance at you know, you Google image search both artists and you see their um, sort of their talent, sort of their longstanding uh, prolific work in very popular comics. And Adam Hughes recently wrote and drew Betty and Veronica, um, the new rebooted Archie Betty and Veronica. And he too has been an artist who on one hand gets um, applauded and appreciated uh, even by by women fans, um, uh, but uh, also by male the male contingent, the large male contingent of, of comics fans for um, drawing gorgeous girls. And I have, you know, some Adam Hughes work around here. Um, and it is really uh, a pretty amazing what he does artistically. And, and you know, Cho, too, has a um, combination of an animator's line and style, something in the, you know, Walt Kelly um, vein that I've talked about many times on this podcast. Um, and also does the sort of Wallywood extreme um, uh, de- depiction, you know, of of sexuality in women. Um, and uh, I, I don't mean to smash those two together in the same camp, but I think I think in some in many in the perception of many they might they might live in the same world. Um, a bit, able to make um, somewhat cheesecakey covers. Uh, cheesecake, and um, and it's always interesting to hear the perspective of comics fandom um, from from different angles and different pers- different sort of um, you know perspectives uh, about these artists. Whether you ought to appreciate them, whether you ought to celebrate them, whether you ought to take exception to them, whether you ought to um, you know have a problem with the way that women are rendered in these depictions. And, um, and all of that, I think, is a kind of, uh, you, sometimes a very thought out and sometimes a sort of um, haphazard on the part of the fans, I, I'm saying, on, on, the, on the part of the reaction or, or on the part of critics or whatever. Um, 
sometimes a very thought out or sometimes it's a very haphazard uh, sense of your own reaction to the female body in, in depiction. Um, and, um, and I think it's tied up with a lot of different things and it's tied up with a lot of different things, tied up. I just realized I said tied up with a lot of different things that are connected to our work to today. Um, which is, um, of course, Jill Lepore's Secret History of Wonder Woman. Now, this book came out in 2015, I think July. I'm from Vintage, as I mentioned. Jill Lepore is a Harvard professor, uh, writes for The New Yorker about a, a range of topics. Um, and I think that um, it really was one of the most interesting books of last year uh, related to the world of comics and, you know, sort of appreciated and acknowledged as such. Um, I can't remember the specific uh, awards that it won, but you know, it gained quite a lot of recognition. Um, Lepore's book basically talks about Wonder Woman as a character who uh, arrives from the imagination of, um, we'll say, <laughs> metonymically, William Moulton Marston. Um, and she really talks about what the uh, the background is, and it's the kind of social history, or no, nah, it's not a social history. It's it's a it's a kind of a combination of biographical history and social history, where you get enough of you know half of it is about who this person is, and half of it is about kind of a closer look at the context that can't be ignored in shaping who Marston is, and then who you know what his his creation is. And I say all of this his creation with quotes because of course he's always it's always attributed to him but what becomes really clear is the um the both broad and very um narrow set of of um dialogue partners you can call it or maybe you could say um influences that are involved um to a greater or lesser degree in what ultimately becomes wonder woman and and that's part of what Laporte does so well that is so groundbreaking you know she had she had a lot of um sort of uh, primary source material to understand the inner workings of a relation of Marston's relationship with uh, his wife as well as his um, his other wife <laughs> and um, you know Marston was this uh, just a very unconventional figure and uh, he was a feminist he was a, a, a law professor a psychology professor a forensic scientist um, you know a, a philosopher and um, had a uh, it's uh, just a very interesting life, and I should, and I'll say now, like Lepore's book is very compelling reading. It's very hard to put down. Um, I read it all in one sitting um, because the the figure, you know, you sort of have at the end of this biography, and I'm not actually, I, I I've read a lot of biographies, but I'm not necessarily, I would say, a huge fan of that um, that, that genre, but, um, Lepore has at the end of the story, sort of, you know, the last section of the story, what ultimately becomes the man who creates Wonder Woman. But along the way, you find out all of these things about him that, um, feed into the, um, the person who eventually creates Wonder Woman, or you should, we should say the people who eventually create Wonder Woman, because, um, uh, 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 Marston is uh, heavily influenced and, in fact, interdependent with Elizabeth Holloway, uh, a woman he marries um, earlier in his early in his life, and then Olive Byrne, uh, a, a woman who um, he sort of also um, marries, and the two sort of wives, uh, along with another woman, uh, Hunley, who who is also part of the configuration, become a sort of open. Uh, marriage open family relationship where um, uh, here is Marston um, 
the feminist um, with these other feminist women. Olive Byrne, in fact, is the niece of Margaret Sanger, who is, of course, a, a famous um, what's now called second wave feminist thinker sort of poised between uh, what's later reductively called first and second wave feminism. But anyway, Sanger, a, a huge advocate of birth control and things like that, um, is the, is the, she's, the, she's the aunt of Olive Byrne, who is sort of um, Marston's second wife. Um, and you can see in my, you can hear in my description that the typical categories fail to adequately describe these relationships because so much of this family, uh, and, I, and I almost want to make Marston sort of the, the header of a whole family ecology that winds up being in the mix of creating what is Wonder Woman, but this, this sort of family, um, uh, you know, I, I think when we use the traditional categories of talking about a husband and wife or, or parents or whatever, you know, you, you, um, you are, ex you are, uh, creating, establishing as normal what um, what they would be as un abnormal, and a whole lot of Marston's um, lived philosophy, I'll say, is about um, sort of uh, casting out that abnormality, that label of abnormality. Um, I, I would say, as much as this can be, that he, that he his and their families is sort of a, a quote unquote principled, principled polygamy, um, an awareness of emotions and sexuality, and so on. Um, a dab of, of psychology uh, influence, a dab of um, Aquarianism, religious influence, sort of New Age um, thinking about family, about um, force, about love, about peace, about war, um, all in the mix. And uh, Marston was a, um, a Harvard PhD. Um, he was a, he he was a, <laughs> he had this um, uh, as Laporte describes it, sort of this. Uh, uh, re regressive academic career. First, he was a department head in, in psychology at American University and then became a non-tenured professor at Tufts and then a lectureship at Columbia and eventually just a sort of independent researcher and consultant as a PhD. Um, published quite a lot of different stuff about uh, many things. And then actually famously was um, the, the progenitor, really, of the lie detector test, uh, which he used uh, measurements of blood pressure and then, uh, uh, you know, very smart questioning, very set smart set of questioning thought out set of questions in order to be able to um detect whether a person was uh you know uh, telling the truth or not sort of the um the originary originator of the idea of what would become the polygraph test right and um and i think that that whole lie detector test aspect of um of marston's life is really interesting because i think it just shows a, an example of his brilliance and just really how smart he was and how much of a, of a polyglot he was. Um, and then B, also of some of his weaknesses and really some of the scrutiny or the disbelief that he sort of encountered throughout his whole life. Um, because the, his, his lie detector test was, became, and, and through some of instrumentation of his own, but basically became the linchpin of a, of a, of a case, Fry versus United States, which kind of like Miranda is sort of one of these, um, cases that becomes a name itself when something's fried, when a uh, scientific principle hasn't gained enough general acceptance yet and, and really can't be admitted as evidence because that's sort of what happened. His expert testimony became deemed inadmissible because the science that he was newly developing of lie detection or, or, um, the lie detector test wasn't proven enough, and the judge uh, threw it out sort of repeatedly on appeal. 
Um, and so, you know, here's Marston, the inventor of the lie detector test, all because he sort of uh, came out of the period of, of the emergence of psychology as a field, um, connected it to, um, you know, sort of what, what was used to measure uh, physiology at that time and then, uh, and then used it and applied it in these, in these really interesting ways. Um, and so there's that, you know, and then there's also his relationship with, 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 with feminism, uh, with, with Sanger, with Sanger's ideas about voluntary motherhood and, and her book, Woman and the New Race. And, uh, and then, of course, he has connections with the, the origins of psychology as a discipline, uh, William James and, and, and people like that. And then um, Aquarianism, as I mentioned, and really, you know, different divergent ideas about family and sexuality. And then you come to find out because of this lie detector stuff, uh, a connection to FBI and, and you know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Um, very early on, he uh, demonstrates an interest in, um, in in movies, and then he ends ends up having a, a bit of a role in Universal Pictures in Hollywood, in um, and his sort of psychological theories about um, emotions, core emotions, and things like that are um, you know sort of wind up being part of the the discussion about what kinds of stories Hollywood should appeal to. Um, also he and, uh, and actually, especially Elizabeth Holloway, his, his wife, um, are part of the Encyclopedia Britannica. You come to find out he has associations because of, um, Olive Burns, uh, family to, uh, fiction house, early comics publisher, create, you know, publisher, publishing house that, you know, introduced many women cartoonists to the field very early on and the character of Miss Fury and things like that. Um, and so it's, it's, so you, I mean, I just went through this laundry list. You must be listening to this if you haven't read the book and being like, wow, who is this guy, (laughs) you know, who, um, seems to touch so many different, um, vital fields. And it, um, I mean, one way to look at it is just like, here's what privilege means. (laughs) Here's what it means when you are in the uh, early 20th century, get, get to be a Harvard PhD. And even though you don't earn, um, much money or you can't maintain because of, you know, being blacklisted because of your lifestyle, you can't maintain, you know, any kind of academic position or even income, you wind up um, in all of these influential circles, um, somehow, by the strength of your own ideas, and your maybe your own, um, uh, you know, sort of salesmanship, uh, um, you know, you wind up influencing so many things. And, um, and again, I, Every time I say it, I know I'm short selling that it really wasn't just Marston. It was also Olive Byrne herself, sort of a, um, you know, a fascinating curiosity or maybe a sort of heroic intellect. Um, and also Elizabeth Holloway, who really, you know, earned the money and also, um, you know, argued for credit of a whole lot of the ideas in the work, including the idea originally for the lie detector and so on from Marston, um, especially after his death. Um it, it is a fascinating and even today um, out-of-the-box life, uh, which ultimately comes to, you know, when we arrive at the period of superheroes, ultimately comes to the creation of Wonder Woman. And so here we have um, uh, uh, Marston um, sort of... A, adrift a bit um i mean always always very productive and always a kind of um settled in his family life because he gets to be the uh he wouldn't he would probably not say it this way but 
the head of a household where Elizabeth Holloway can earn income. He can father children with, um, with both women and, um, and continue his research and con- continue his consultation work wherever he will find listeners, <laughs> where, wherever he'll find a following, uh, a chance to influence culture. And so he starts to come to see, just as, you know, similar to his, his early attraction to films, he starts to come to see comic books as the hugely influential, you know, very suddenly bursting on the scene, shaping um, the popular imagination of the time uh, as the sort of influential um, medium that it is. And, you know, and, and Lepore sort of brilliantly brings up how all of these things that were part of um, uh Marston's life, even even before comics, you know, in their stapled form existed, um, in their four color form existed, all these aspects of his life ultimately come to show up in Sensation Comics or in the newspaper strip of Wonder Woman. Um, you know, whether that be you know courtrooms and dismissive judges, which he experienced early in his career in law, or or the university culture and the sort of the hierarchy. Um, he creates Holiday College, which is such a is sort of a clear analog um, in the Wonder Woman world for. Harvard, a combination of Holloway's name and, and other things. And then, uh, you know, early on in the comics, they, they, they talk sort of about the sexual liberation of the period for women um, and, and sort of the sorority life and induction to that, um, sisterhoods, and also a reaction to World War II. And then also, you know, his thoughts about marriage norms and bondage or, or Greek mythology and, 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 and divergent thought, you know, um, uh, Paradise Island as this and the Amazons, you know, as a sort of ideal of matriarchy or, or gynocracy or whatever. Um, you know, Marston is definitely of a time when uh, there are still strains of feminist thought that are, are really, you know, not, not only saying, not really just saying that women are ought to be equal and, and sort of not held by the constraints of, um, of patriarchy or, or misogyny, but, but also that they, they, they are the superior gender, you know, that they are, they are a certain way and that way is better. You know, they are a way of love over force and, and, and things like that. Um, and so he, uh, he is ardent up to the end of his life, which, you know, he dies really less than a decade after the, the creation of Wonder Woman. Um, and, and as she becomes popular, but, um, he's ardent all the way till the end of his life about the, the strength of what he, you know, calls sort of the bonds of love versus the, the, the masculine, um, bonds of, of, you know, of domination and cruelty and force. Um, and so Lepore's book really, even after all that I've said, I think you would find it. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know you, but (laughs) I think if you're listening this far, you would find it fascinating if you haven't read it. Uh, what is interesting to me is to sort of revisit some of the book as I start to read Rucka's, uh, Rucka and artists. That's so dismissive rucka and scott and sharps um wonder woman and so i'll turn to that now and touch on touch back on some of the um, things from lapore that i think are really relevant here so rucka greg rucka um uh had a sort of a very well-known run on wonder woman back before the new 52 um back when he was writing a lot more with dc such as the series 52 which is before the new 52, uh, if you can wrap your head around that, if you're not familiar with that history. But anyway, um, Rucka's run on Wonder Woman was um, well-known, um, sort of critically allotted, and then uh, cut short because of 
well, reasons. And so it was kind of a big deal when they made the announcements about these rebirth titles that um, they, when they announced that Greg Rucka would be back, you know, there's sort of a celebratory like, yay, from a certain segment of the comics reading um, populace. Rucka has committed himself um, to writing female protagonists and has really become known for that, um, ranging from his, his work um, way back when, with uh, Queen and Country, uh, I think that was published by Oni, but I, definitely the cle- collections. Um, to even right now, what he's done with um, Lazarus and uh, other other DC, to- I'm sorry, uh, other Image titles, um, and I think has always championed uh, you know characters like like the uh, the New Question and things like that, where um, where women are put up front as not only heroic figures but also um, outside of the boxes that. Um, larger society in than definitely comics would put women into. Um, and, uh, and, and so when Rucka's back on Wonder Woman, again, there's sort of like this expectation and excitement of what he can do of bringing his considerable storytelling gifts to, um, to the character. Um, and then it was, an, and I think part of the announcement was, 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 uh, Rucka bringing with him, Nicola Scott, who, um, has worked with him on Black Magic, uh, worked before on a whole bunch of stuff at DC. I think was lesser known as an artist, but um, you know I think already appreciated. And uh, and now she's drawing every other issue. Of course, these DC Rebirth, you know, many of the headline titles are coming out on a biweekly schedule, and so Rucka's probably hustling writing these biweekly comics biweekly. And then of course the artists really had to hustle, but they usually have been a pair of artists. And so Rucka, I think. Uh, did did his level best to um, honor his artists with that by letting them take hold of a particular storyline, having um, his his uh, work partner, Nicola Scott from Black Magic, do a year one story for Wonder Woman for, I think it's supposed to go six issues, and now the first issue has come out, which is Wonder Woman number two. Um, and then bringing on a new artist, uh, Liam Sharp, who I think is British in origin, but now lives here in the Bay Area. Um, and he did Wonder Woman number one, parts of the Wonder Woman Rebirth issue, and is doing a separate storyline. And in the storyline, which I, I don't know if both storylines together, but I think not. I think just the the, the storyline drawn by Sharp, and in which I suppose is going to be every odd issue um, for the first half a year or whatever, um, is called Lies. And um, <laughs> and uh, so maybe already you're already thinking about. Um, the idea of lies um, from the character created by the the inventor of the lie detector, which of course is connected to her lasso of truth and so on. I, I'm I'm the more I talk about it, the more I realize this is a huge set of things that I'm trying to connect, and I'm I'm already re- seeing all the things that I'm failing to mention and trying to connect all this, you know, all the threads of of this thing. So anyway, Rucka is um, writing uh, a, a kind of he's writing a year one story and then he's writing a a story that's supposed to be set i think in the now of the of the rebirth period or whatever but that's even that story set in the now the rebirth period is wonder woman in a, a kind of search and so the wonder woman rebirth issue um illustrated partly by uh partly by liam sharp but partly by i'm blanking i've got to look up the name of the um, artist but as i do that i'll keep talking um the the rebirth issue has Wonder Woman dealing with what Rebirth has sort of um, thrown out, you know, what Jeff Johns and his Rebirth issue kind of threw out, which was, you know, the New 52 was an attempt to clear the deck of continuity and be able to tell a fresh story from scratch. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, he, now Rebirth is how can we bring back the legacy and the history of the character and then still have the character be this the best of this new 52 world that we're, you know, now living in now maybe stuck with. <laughs> and so at the very outset of the Rebirth issue, which um, I now see is uh, illustrated by Clark, um, uh, Matthew Clark, uh, who I, I'm, af- I'm afraid I'm not terribly familiar with his, his work, although does a good job with this Rebirth issue, starts off with the questions of the various uh, origin stories of Wonder Woman, including the Marston origin story, including this origin story that was um, sort of uh, reinvented to some extent by Azarello and Chang in the New 52 um, Wonder Woman, and then also the various um, uh, reimaginings of her origin story, and some of them almost in contradiction. Uh, you know, is she a, a soldier of, of, of peace and a kind of... Um, uh, you know, mercy that is supposed to be representative of 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 women <laughs> and and a woman's world, or is she in fact the god of war, the descendant of and then the inheritor of the the mantle of the god of war? You know, these are all from the various origin stories that Wonder Woman has. Um, and then, um, you know, is she created? So, so of course, she's you know, Wonder Woman is is born on the island of Themyscira or or Paradise Island, or whatever, from Hippolyta, who was the queen of the Amazons. And so, you know, it, this is, of course, a women-only island. How do you give birth to somebody if you're a woman-only island? And so in one of the stories, um, you know, she cries out to the gods, and fashioned from the dirt, um, from clay, there's Diana, her daughter, who becomes one woman. Or in another story, um, she fall, uh, Hippolyta, the queen of the Amazons, falls in love with Hercules um, or Heracles or Zeus comes to um, to be with Queen Hippolyta and then to give birth to, to child and so on. And and so it's yes, it is confusing. Uh, if you know the history of Wonder Woman, if you've read a lot of the old Wonder Woman, the George Perez or the or even the Azarello and Chang only or the Marston or whatever many multiple iterations of Wonder Woman there have been. Um, yes, you know, uh, I think <laughs> I think. um uh, what you know what Rucka is doing is to say this is crazy there are many different origin origin stories and probably of the three big dc superheroes um uh you know wonder woman is the fuzziest um there have been of course multiple retellings of superman and batman's too but um, many of those retellings there's been landmark ones that have been able to somehow reconcile or 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 um to to misread or reread the 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 origin um so that all these elements these disparate elements that were you know in the past sort of get reintroduced and and so in in people's minds i think in the popular imagination there's a general um schema of what um what superman and batman's origins are and i think wonder woman's are sketchier or maybe maybe uh, hazier to to most um and so I think what Rucka's trying to do is what Rebirth is trying to do, which is to, uh, I don't know, shoot the gap or try to um, merge the pieces to reconcile some kind of um, uh, origin. And that that's why it's so fascinating to read this right after reading Lepore's Secret History of Wonder Woman because if you think about the Wonder Woman character as not just the uh, arbitrary invention of a single imagination, but as a kind of, you know, bubbling up over Marston, a, 
a set of influences as wide as um, the, the legal profession, the developing uh, field of psychology, or at least his particular version of it, um, of course, the feminist movement, or his particular version of it, um, or, um, you know, what's going on in, in, in law, um, or notions of patriotism, or again, his particular version of it. And you see all of these different influences around Marston, as Lepore tells the story, bubbling up into the character of Wonder Woman and the elements of her story, whether it's the role of Steve Trevor or Etta Candy or the role of the Amazons, really, or um, or of the significance of her birth, the significance of the invisible plane or the, the costume as, um, you know, you get to see from Lepore a little bit of the um, back and forth between Marston and, and Harry Peters, who's the artist um, and, and, you know, um, sort of a sympathetic to, to suffrage kind of a, a, an artist as well. But the, the back and forth about the, the symbology um, and the sexuality of her costume, um, all of that just makes any kind of return to question the origins super interesting. And, you know, recently we've had a couple of retellings of the origin. We've had The Legend of Wonder Woman, a, a digital webcomic nominated for an Eisner, really great, Rene DeLiz, um, and others, and then um, we've had uh, a Wonder Woman Year One, Grant Morrison's take with Yannick Paquette of of um, that same story, different spins again on the the feminist origins or the idea of women, um, the questions of domination and subjugation and um, and bondage that. Marston introduced into the character and sort of insisted remain with the character for the time that he wrote the character, despite the um, the um, advisement of censors and 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 advisory people who um, Char- Charlie Gaines at DC had brought on to sort of keep this whole Marston phenomenon in check. Um, and then you know to to think about those various questions that that. Um, play a role in the depiction and the creation of this character and then to think about how Rucka's job is to do his level best to tell a good story, to not make this uh, boring. <laughs> and to, so he's got to tell a good story uh, with his artists um, and then he's got to try to um, reconcile or, or you know fit together all these different pieces of who Wonder Woman has been in the past and what did they mean? What were they coded language for? Or what were they s- symbolic of? Um, and how did they, and how does he put these together? Um, I think that um, he he very cannily has Sharp doing the um, art on the current day storyline. He has Etta Candy as a black woman with, you know, sort of a lot of authority in whatever secret organization or government, the army thing or whatever. Um, and also Sharp seems to be really adept at the kind of... Um, uh, creatures and um, you know hairy things and um, uh, world of skeletons and gods and stuff like that that this story seems to be playing out in. Um, I think uh, the choice here to of, of not only Sharp but the kind of thing that Sharp seems good at and then the kind of story that um, uh, issue one reveals um, you know the current day Wonder Woman inhabiting is an uh, is an interesting choice from the perspective of what frontiers do we think that this Wonder Woman character who, um, you know, 
we want her to be a human being, but she is always saddled with all these expectations of being representative of womanhood in some sense in comics, um, in superhero comics. Um, it's interesting that she's now inhabiting this world where Steve Trevor is almost a, a um, sort of uh, agent espionage type of thing going on, and, and uh, there's a, a, a dark woods, um, dark creatures, jungle-ish, cheetah appears that's a spoiler i'm sorry i didn't alert you to that um that this is the particular world that this storyline is inhabiting and so what does it mean for wonder woman to be walking into that territory for for rucka's wonder woman to be walking into that territory? what does that mean sort of culturally and uh, maybe maybe politically and then if you turn to the year one storyline first off i just got to say i liked nicola scott um uh, her her art on uh, Black Magic, I thought it was really good looking. Um, I went back after I found out about Black Magic. I actually got to hear from uh, uh, Scott and Rucka at Image Expo um, last year when they introduced uh, Black Magic. Um, but um, I think uh, uh, I think Scott is an artist of. Uh, incredible poise and i say that about her personally i think she was a model prior to um beginning her professional comics career and um and uh in some ways i think rucka was part of connecting her i could be wrong about this but really part of connecting her to um to to comics publishers um but i i think um they have a strong mutual respect um, led to Black Magic, but they've always sort of had interest in the the one woman character. So for the ten years that they've known each other, I think they've been hoping, waiting, and uh, and it's sort of arrived here at them doing Wonder Woman together. And this issue number two of Wonder Woman that Scott um, draws is, I mean, I already was impressed with Black Magic. I think it's head and shoulders above really anything that we've seen from from. Uh, from Nicholas Scott and honestly head and shoulders uh, above so much Wonder Woman art I mean I've spent some time with you know the Robert uh, Kaniger years or the um, Diana Prince Wonder Woman where they remade her as a sort of mod uh, you know fashionista or really the um, dark I'm sorry to make him the emblem of this the Mike Deodato years of just really ridiculous proportioned women and um a lot of ridiculous clothing and stuff. Uh, you know, she Wonder Woman has had many years. Um, and, you know, recently even Cliff Chang's uh, Wonder Woman was one of many depictions chosen uh, for a, a, a new, I think they announced a new set of stamps of Wonder Woman um, now that it's her 75th year. Um, and uh, and that's exciting because I really like the Cliff Chang depiction. I wonder what Cliff Chang felt like to be like, yeah, I won the Eisner for best artist, best penciler. And then I... Um, get to uh, see my my Wonder Woman on a stamp, and then oh wow, there's a lot of stuff about my part, my you know creator partner Azarello. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just gonna leave that there and and back away slowly. Um, but um, it, so there's been a lot of depictions. My point was of Wonder Woman, and I really like. I mean, this is a small sample, so I really like uh, Renee DeLiz's recently, by the way. But I really really like what. Um, Scott does with um, with the Wonder Woman in this issue. Um, there's moments, for instance, with uh, with her and other characters um, on on Themyscira that well, I I am breathtaking at how little I see this kind of interaction in comics, and it's sad. You know, it's like an affectionate 
a deeply loving, affectionate embrace between two women that is non-sexual, or maybe it is sexual or whatever, but then that's not the point. Um, and, um, uh, you know, just friendship uh, <laughs> and sort of mutual affection that is like unbracketed by a male gaze, it seems like. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, I just, I, I think that this art is good and I'm excited about it. Um, sorry, I'm doing a little bit of typing right now because I'm realizing that I'm not crediting um, Renee DeLiz's um, partner on Legend of Wonder Woman. But I don't see it uh, on this CBR article either, so maybe not. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I guess, uh, the, shoot, there's more, so much more to say here about um, how Steve Trevor is portrayed in this opening issue and how uh, I think where the story seems to be going, especially with the year one story, is a reflection or maybe is, um, you know, fainting at a, a, a twist from the Marston version. But um, I told myself, uh, th- you know, 20 or 30 minutes and I'm here at 45 and I got to go. I got to I got to do a thing, uh, education thing and um, got to get back to my work. Ray Dillon is the name that I was looking for. <laughs> Sorry, R- Renee DeLiz and Ray Dillon. Uh, uh, on Legend of Wonder Woman, which is not this book. I'm sorry. That's totally random. All right. Um, shoot. Uh, many more things to say. Should I carry this over into another day? I'll tell you what. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say that if you listen to this, if you have thoughts, l- l- let's just say that I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do in this episode is spark a conversation. And, and I sh- I'll just throw it out there. If you are listening and you have some thoughts about this new rendition of Wonder Woman, um, this new attempt to uh, reconcile these Wonder Women of past history. Um, and and if you have read Lepore or just have some inkling or just based on what I discussed, have some thoughts about um, how they connect, uh, what Rucka may be up to or maybe thinking about. He, he no doubt knows now this secret history that um, has made a splash um yeah why don't you contact me write me or or tweet me or whatever um and and if there's a chance later on maybe as this story unfolds i'll revisit i'll return to wonder woman i'll return to this topic and these questions and and we'll see where we stand um but um yeah i guess i'd say among the things to watch in comics i always think that the phenomena and the character and the human backstories of who's creating Wonder Woman are always fascinating, always a point of much tension, but necessary tension, as I always like to say. So um, so there it is. All right. This has been the extra long Wonder Woman first <laughs> episode of, first Wonder Woman related episode of The Paul List. And um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Tuply, T-W-O-P-L-A-I, or email me to ply at gmail.com, the tuply.tumblr.com. I actually haven't used it much since that um, Faith Aaron Hicks Nameless City episode, but I'll try to do that more in, in episodes to come. Maybe that will help me to discipline my time a little bit so that these don't wind up too long. Um, it is actually technically uh, July 25th, so it should be the Monday Marvel. I might get a, a Monday Marvel out. I might not. I might just skip it and go to the Tuesday trade. Uh, we'll see. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening this long. You deserve a prize for, for listening this long. Um, I don't have one to give you. But let's let this discussion be its own reward. All right, keep reading.